Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello again. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned there are nine babies to be born at Salt Church. Uh, it's a bit of a baby boom, and you guys are winning the war in the baby front. So I think there's six, uh, Lord willing, that'll come from 5pm and three from 10am. Um, so well done. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Um, but um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Elijah, uh, yeah, great job. <laughs> Elijah Howard was born to Simon and Leah last week, and this week two babies were born uh, from 10 a.m. So Layla Fitzpatrick, uh, you might know David and Emily who moved to 10 a.m. Um, and another family that named had a daughter and named their daughter the same as one of my daughters, and even chose her second name as well. Um, so Bronte Rose Hobbs, born to Jono and Izzy, uh, Jono's Andy's brother. Um, so it's great to follow your leaders, but you don't need to choose the exact same name. <laughs> um, anyway, pray for those guys. Pray for those who are expecting. Um, yeah, lots. it's great to welcome new people, little ones. I'm going to pray for us now. Uh, Father God, as we dive into Acts 21, Lord, please give us clarity of thought. Uh, help us to listen to your voice. Uh, Lord, help us to see Jesus more brightly, uh, to follow and love him more. Uh, we ask for your help and we ask that you might work by your spirit to make these things happen. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're talking about guidance uh, and how powerful it is uh, in your decision making when you know this is what God wants you to do. Uh, I'm sure you've been there. It can happen on a, on a daily basis. It can be in the small decisions or the big decisions of life. How do I know which of the two choices is God's choice? Uh, incredibly powerful, isn't it, to have that reassurance, have that comfort. I'm making this choice and it's the one that God wants me to make and I'm pleasing him in that. Uh, that is a great place to be. Uh, but it does raise uh, the question, how would you know if God is approving of the choice you're making? Uh, and when you come to a decision... How do you choose the one that God wants you to choose? Uh, that's what we're thinking about tonight. Uh, and, and tonight's passage uh, raises this whole issue of discerning the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, discerning the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you may have heard Christians say, you might say yourself, the Spirit is leading me to take a particular path, uh, to take a new job, uh, to leave my old job, uh, to take a trip overseas, to change churches, to uh, have a word with someone. God has called me uh, to this particular word for this particular person by the leading of the Spirit. But how would you know? Um, two two um, passages come to my mind when people say those kind of things. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is on the screen. Uh, Do not quench the Spirit because you could. Uh, do not treat prophecies with contempt because you could. But test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. And yet, look at 1 John 4, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, So it seems to me there's two dangers, isn't there? You can be gullible as a Christian, you can believe any and every spirit, Uh, you can think that any spiritual experience you've had is from God, uh, and that can get you in all sorts of trouble, Uh, that is incredibly naive and God warns us not to be like that. Or just as bad, or maybe worse, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is working in your life, is prompting you, guiding you, directing you, but you're asleep to it. Uh, You've failed to see what he's doing. You fail to keep in step with the Spirit and obey him. Now, to be sure, the Bible does say that the the Holy Spirit does guide and direct every Christian. So if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you're a disciple of Jesus, you trust him as Lord and Saviour, Uh, That is the expectation that you'll be led by the Spirit of God. Um, So let me give you um, some examples. So 1 Corinthians 12, we don't have time to go into all of these, but I'll I'll leave them for you to look at. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Holy Spirit that leads you to confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, He he brings you to to recognise Jesus is the King, you need to submit to Him, turn to Him, uh, repent. Uh, That's the work of the Spirit. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to call God your Father. Uh, Now you are a son, you're in the family, you call God your Father, that is the work of the Spirit. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, it's the work of the Spirit that enables you to pray. Um, You don't know what to say and and the Spirit helps you, uh, enables you to pray. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, it's also the Holy Spirit that moves you to kill sin. Uh, to uh, put away your old self in, it, in its fleshly desires and sinfulness and put on the new self, uh, full of righteousness, the newness of life. And then John 14, it's the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, who I will send, Jesus said, and he will teach you all things and he will remind you of all that I have said, I have said and done. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? If you're if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, understand this, that the, the Spirit of God, who is God, works in every Christian's life. There's a little bit of a snapshot of what the Spirit is doing. Um, but that's worth careful thought and study to understand correctly what is, the, what is the Spirit doing in our lives so you might recognise Him. But some would say, actually, I want more than that. I want to be led by the Spirit like Paul is led by the Spirit here in Acts. Um, so let's have a look at Acts together. Um, Acts chapter 21, have it open in front of you. And those first 14 verses uh, that were read out for us. Um, have a look at this map. Paul's on a journey. Uh, if you remember from last week, he was in Miletus, which is just south of Ephesus, the, the, the town there that's circled. And he's on a return journey. He's heading all the way back to Jerusalem, uh, the bottom right-hand corner of that map. Uh, And Paul sets sail from Miletus. Uh, He heads past the Greek Isles, um, Kos and Rhodes. Uh, He heads to Patara, which is modern-day Turkey, and and then past the south side of the country of Cyprus, that island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, until he hits Syria, which is modern-day Lebanon, a place called Tyre, and then he works his way down the coast. But at Tyre, notice in verse 4, he gets there and he seeks out the disciples, he stays there for seven days, 
And there's a, Luke paints a beautiful picture of church family uh, accompanying him to the, to the shore, uh, a beautiful picture of partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 5. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city and there on the beach we knelt to pray. And then he goes on to Ptolemas and verse 7 says, Luke's, uh, Luke reports, we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Uh, there's another picture of, of uh, fellowship and partnership. And finally down to Caesarea uh, where the action takes place for tonight's passage. And notice um, just before we move on in, in Caesarea, uh, verse 8, he stays with Philip the evangelist uh, and we meet Philip in, back in chapter 8 uh, and we're told now Philip has uh, four daughters and all of his daughters prophesy. It's a beautiful picture of how the gospel has taken root in families and uh, taken root in Philip's family. Uh, Philip's the evangelist, Philip speaks the word of God and now his daughters believe and they also speak the word of God, uh, such as the impact of the gospel. But there's, there's a bit of a snapshot, there's the nature of being a disciple of Jesus Wherever you go in the world, there's Christian brothers and sisters. Um, it's a beautiful picture of hospitality and partnership and love towards one another. And notice it's not Paul, the one-man band. It's Paul with a team sharing the gospel and Paul uh, uniting with the church to see all we can to see the spread of the gospel uh, across the Mediterranean. That's what's happening here. But Paul's heading to Jerusalem and Luke makes very clear he's been directed by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is moving him forward. Um, so follow that with me. Turn back to chapter 20 and verse 22. And just a little note about the phrase, the Spirit, in Acts. Um, sometimes you'll notice it's little s spirit, uh, where the translators have translated as human spirit. Um, so in my spirit, I was greatly convicted to do something, that's little s spirit, or capital S spirit, that is God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the same word translated from the Greek. Uh, it requires context to understand. Is it the Holy Spirit we're talking about or is it the human spirit? Um, and usually it's quite obvious by context, but it's, it's just worth noting that. Um, so verse 22 of chapter 20, and now Paul says, "'Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem.'" not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Uh, so he's heading to Jerusalem, but as he gets closer, his friends start to warn him, also through the Spirit, not to go. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 21, our passage tonight. Uh, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So his friends uh, are concerned for his safety, but Paul ignores them uh, and keeps pressing on. And so they arrive in Caesarea, and what happens in Caesarea? They meet a prophet, Agabus. Agabus appears. Now, there's a, there's a great name for a baby boy, yeah? If you're thinking about names, store it up, Agabus. Um, he's... Um, a prophet, he's uh, got the famous style of the Old Testament prophet who not only speaks but also acts out his prophecy, you notice. Um, so look at verse 11. Uh, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, 
In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But notice what Paul says in verse 13. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Can you imagine trying to persuade the Apostle Paul to do something different? Uh, Can you imagine how difficult that would be? He is convicted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's prepared to die in Jerusalem. They're saying, this is all too hard. You shouldn't go there. It's, it's, It's going to be difficult. It's going to involve suffering. He says, no, I'm going by the Spirit. Now, does all of this sound familiar? Uh, What we're meant to see here is Paul following in the footsteps of Jesus. Remember, Jesus resolutely set his his face towards Jerusalem and said, I must go to Jerusalem, and no one would dissuade him from it. Um, Here's what Jesus said. He said, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and I must be killed and on the third day be raised to life, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Remember Peter, uh, who hears those words and says to him, Lord, never, Uh, you must not go, this shall never happen to you. And there Jesus says, in crystal clear language, Peter, you do not understand the things of God. You do not understand the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, You do not have... In mind, the things of God, you are a stumbling block to the work of God. Uh, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, Jesus says. There's something of that going on here uh, with Paul. Paul is so convinced that he must get to Jerusalem. He knows there'll be great hardship. He knows that prison awaits him. And he's even prepared to die when he gets to Jerusalem. But he's compelled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's not taking the advice of his friends, and it's not to say that he never takes the advice of his friends, uh, but he's certainly not taking their advice on this occasion. Uh, do you remember on other occasions he does? So back in chapter 17, there's trouble in the city of, of Thessalonica. Uh, he, he does take their advice, and they help him get out of the city. Uh, if you remember back in, the, uh, in Ephesus during the riot, His friends beg him not to go into the theatre and he doesn't go into the theatre. But not here. And you could ask, why is the Spirit leading Paul to suffer? Because that's clearly what's happening, isn't it? Uh, Doesn't God, by his Spirit, want what's best for Paul? Uh, Why is he sending him to Jerusalem where hardships and prison await him? I distinctly remember uh, several years ago seeing a sign for a church in Sydney uh, that had the church's name and then in big letters beneath the church's name it had your best life now. Uh, Very clear what that church's goal is, what that church's expectation of the Christian life is. Um, You look at Paul's life, this is not his best life now, is it? (laughs) This is far from his best life now, uh, what's going on? 
Well, I reckon it all has to do with your understanding of the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but it's interesting to me to observe that when people say the Spirit is leading me, often it seems to me they're just saying what they want to do. Uh, That may be a bit harsh, but I reckon that's what's happening. The Spirit is leading me to a job, and the job is always a job that is better, uh, has more pay, has more status. Uh, You never hear people say, the Spirit of God is leading me to a worse job. Um, not lead, you, know, you never hear people say, the Spirit is leading me to be a cleaner. No offence to cleaners. Uh, or a garbage collect, collector or a sewage worker. It's always leading to something that has status or wealth or comfort. It's almost like the Spirit is very middle class in the way he leads people. Uh, upwardly mobile in leading people to places that are better. Well, sometimes it feels like that when people say, the Spirit is leading me, uh, it's just describing what they want to do anyway. I remember when I was a a younger Christian, uh, a lady said to me, uh, the Spirit is telling me that I must confront you about something. Um, and that is, quite, that is quite a heavy thing to hear, isn't it? Um, and she said to me, she said, God has spoken to me and said to me that if Michael is at church on Sunday night, I will take that as a sign that I should confront him. Um, so when I was a young Christian, I, there was lots of things I was still working out. One of the things I'd, I'd managed to get myself into pretty good patterns with is being at church every single Sunday night. Um, and so she was playing the odds, I think, it was very rare for me not to be there. Uh, and as, as Sunday night approached, I, um, I had to think about what is it? What sin is it that, sh- that the Spirit through her is seeing in my life? Um, and she made me wait till the end of the gathering. Um, so there I am sitting there thinking, and I actually came up with seven areas of my life that I thought, that's what it is. That's part of my life that I, I think I need to repent of. But it was really interesting in the conversation, she raised none of those things. She just wanted to tell me something that she didn't like about me personally, um, that she disagreed with me on. And it, wasn't, it didn't have to do with sin at all. It really felt like she's using the work of the Spirit to somehow do what she just wants to say and do. But the Spirit who is, the, is truly the Holy Spirit, who is God, is not likely to lead us to pleasure, to profit, to comfort... Not, not necessarily leading us or likely to lead us to a better education or a bigger house or with a bigger mortgage or a, a job with a higher pay. It's not that the Spirit works through a strong feeling that you get when you want to do actually what you just want to do, but He's likely to lead us to Jesus as Lord. He's likely to lead us to recognise and lean on Jesus as Saviour. Uh, he's very likely to lead us to call upon God as our Father, to put off sin and put on righteousness. And it's the same Spirit here that leads Paul to preach to the nations, that leads him to suffer and be persecuted, to be rejected by Israel, to be handed over to the Gentiles, just as Jesus was. 
just as Jesus suffered and was rejected. So you think about Jesus for a moment. There is Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, leading the perfect life, and yet it's a life of suffering, isn't it? It's unquestionably a life of suffering. Uh, Do you remember at Jesus' baptism, Luke chapter 3, here's what Luke says. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. What's, what's, that? what's that about? That's a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, that is saying in bold letters, here is Jesus the King. That's a quote from Psalm 2. Here is God's Son who is the King. It's also a quote from Isaiah 42. Here is Jesus, who is God's beloved son, sorry, beloved servant, who will suffer. So in other words, here is Jesus at his baptism when the Spirit comes upon him, uh, who is the king who will suffer, who is the suffering servant. And it makes great sense of the temptation that's about to take place in Jesus' life in the next chapter, Luke chapter 4, Because what does Satan say to him? Turn these stones into bread, Jesus. In other words, make yourself comfortable. Do not suffer. You don't need to. And what does Satan say to him? Come and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, you don't need to go to the cross. You can be the king without being the suffering servant. What does that all teach us about the Spirit? Let me give you five things quickly and then let me let us talk about how it applies to us. Here's the first thing I've got. Christian obedience may mean suffering. It may mean persecution. It may mean difficulty. Because when you become a Christian, when you become a disciple of Jesus, it's not like every problem is solved for you, is it? In fact, it actually creates lots of new problems for you. Now you are the the fish that's swimming upstream against the current. Now you'll need to make different choices um, and difficult choices which will be uncomfortable, which will be hard, which which will cause you to suffer. That's the character of the Christian life and that's where the Spirit is leading us. Second thing to say is, naturally, I think we, we avoid suffering don't we but christians are people who are prepared to suffer there's the great distinctive of christians Uh, what do christians do they they start to suffer for jesus as their lord um, because they realize life is now not about me it's about jesus and i'm going to count the cost of following him Uh, christians are people who suffer for doing good Uh, Christians are people who suffer because they serve other people, as Jesus did. Uh, Christians have this mindset that Jesus laid down his life for me, now I'm to lay down my life for others. And sometimes that'll be hard, sometimes that'll be difficult, and sometimes that'll involve suffering. Let me put it another way. Becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian, turning to Jesus as your Lord, leaning on him as Saviour, moves us profoundly in our attitude towards suffering. Here's the movement, I think, that happens. It moves us from, I'll do 
anything to avoid suffering. I work really hard at self-preservation and comfort. It moves us from there to I'll do anything to please Jesus, even if it's hard, even if it involves sacrifice, even if it involves suffering. The third thing is, there's a difference between knowledge given by the Spirit and the response to that knowledge. Do you notice that in this passage? Paul is repeatedly told by the Spirit he must go to Jerusalem. There's the command uh, by the Spirit. And then there's the response of the disciples in the Spirit. We don't want you to go. Uh, they're two, two very different things, both by the Spirit. Though One is a command, a promise. One is a response to the promise. I think that's what's happening. But fourthly, notice Paul's courage here. It's, it's true courage, isn't it? For him to go to Jerusalem. Uh, it doesn't take courage to be hurt, but it does take courage to go when you know you will be hurt. And that's what's happening for Paul, isn't it? He knows the journey ahead. He knows that the life of the disciple, uh, led by the Spirit, is one of suffering and difficulty, and he's prepared to go and do it. That's courage. And fifthly, <coughs> what is Paul doing? He's, he's doing actually what Jesus requires all of us to do. Uh, Paul's got his own circumstances. Uh, we're not the Apostle Paul. We don't live in the first century. Uh, but what is Paul doing? He's denying himself. He's taking up his cross, and he's following Jesus. And that's what Jesus called us all to do. It looks different for us, um, but that's what we're called to do as well. Well, let me give you a few things as we think about this tonight for ourselves. Um, three things. The first one is, uh, as we think about guidance and how do we discern the voice of God, the Spirit, and how God, uh, the Spirit might lead us, um, and, and think about Paul... One of the issues we've got with the way that Paul was led by the Spirit is we don't actually know how he was led by the Spirit. There's one difficulty for us. Um, there's lots of options in there. It may be that he had great conviction of heart as God worked on his heart. Uh, it could be that he had a dream. It could be that a prophet spoke to him, uh, as it even happened in, in, this, in this chapter. Or it could be that he read the Scriptures uh, and, and as he read the word of God and realised this is what the Spirit says, because the Spirit says what the, what the word says, what God says, that instructed him exactly on what to do. We're not sure of the mechanism. But what does it mean for us? God can guide and lead us by his Spirit in, in countless ways, but we're going to have to keep coming back to God's word to know that that really is the Spirit of God who's leading us. Uh, we're going to need to test the spirits. How do you test the spirits? How do you know that's truly from God? You're going to need to look back into God's word again um, and understand, too, what the spirit does in, in our lives. So when you, when you pray, when you're uh, prompted to pray, there is a sure sign that the spirit is leading you because the spirit always leads us to pray, to call upon God our Father to ask uh, when you recognise afresh that Jesus is the Lord and I need to turn to him and, and have my life directed by him, there is the work of the Spirit. Uh, when you're deeply convicted by your sin 
and realize I need to repent of my sin, I need to kill my sin, I need to turn from sin, there is a deep work of the Spirit. Uh, when, you're, uh, when you're moved to be generous with the things that you've been given, that is a work of the Spirit. When you're kind and compassionate, uh, when you repent of laziness and a lack of self-control, when you move from self-centeredness to Jesus-centeredness and other person-centeredness, that is a great work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you move to serve others, uh, when you move to forgive others, there is a great work of the Spirit. When you're filled with love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, there is a sure sign the Spirit is at work. The second thing to say is it won't always feel good. Um, Somehow we've got in our heads uh, as Christians that I'll know the work of the Spirit, I'll know which way he's directing me because I'll have a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. I'll feel good about it. Um, That's not the case. You may feel great about it, you may feel awful about it. Uh, it, may be the, it may be an easy path, but it's much more likely to be the hard path. Uh, what did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. Die to self and come and suffer with me. Um, that doesn't give you warm, fuzzy feelings, does it? Uh, it's not necessarily the, the feeling of peace and calm. Uh, it's not even necessarily the door that easily opens. Uh, sometimes the door needs to be pushed and pushed again, um, or even knocked down. Uh, Sometimes it will require great effort and will be difficult. And and surely that's our experience. Um, Getting up off the lounge to serve my family or to cook a meal for my flatmates uh, or give generously of what God's given me, that's not an easy thing. That's a hard thing, and that's the work of the Spirit. Um, the Spirit is more likely to move you to do hard things than, than easy things, uh, more likely to move you to do what you wouldn't naturally and usually do because he's transforming you, and certainly things that you could not do in your own strength. That is the work of the Spirit. I uh, Think about it for a moment. When you sacrifice your time and energy for someone else, that's hard. Uh, when you pray, it's, it's hard to pray, isn't it? That's the work of the Spirit. When you give of your money, that's difficult, but it's the work of the Spirit. When you use your energy for Jesus, these are all things led that, that, are, that are indicating to us that we're being led by the Spirit. Well, lastly, let me say, are you up for this? Are you up for being led by the Spirit? Because what, what will that mean? Um, it will mean transformation of life. Are you, are you up for change? Uh, and it will mean doing hard things. And it will mean, like Paul, that you'll need to be willing to suffer for Jesus. I'm going to pray that we uh, keep getting our heads around these things, keep, God keep changing our hearts by His Spirit. So let's, let's pray together.